Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome in, Hokies fans, to this edition of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We record on Wednesday, September 7th, as we get you ready for Virginia Tech's home opener against Boston College in Lane Stadium. On today's episode, we'll talk key matchups, keys to the game, and what the Hokies need to do to, to bounce back after starting the season 0-1. All that and more coming up on episode 253 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, which starts right now. We welcome, we welcome you in whether you are listening or watching on YouTube. If you are on YouTube, make sure to like and subscribe while you're there and make sure you turn on the notification bell so you don't miss any of the future podcasts. want to let you know that Tech Sideline is presented by First Bank and Trust Company, one of the nation's leading community banks. First Bank and Trust is a nationally ranked community-focused bank with over 30 locations throughout Virginia and Northeast Tennessee with additional presence in North Carolina. They offer free checking with industry-leading mobile banking, financing solutions for personal, agriculture, business, commercial, and mortgage needs, and more. Visit www.firstbank.com to learn more. This will likely be the set crew for Wednesday preview shows, although today we'll do a little bit of switching around halfway through. But today on set, we have David Cunningham, managing editor of TechSideline.com, across the way. To my right, Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist. In the fourth chair is Jake Lyman. Behind the scenes producing is Nick Brown, and I'm your host for today, Katie Adams. It's been 298 days since the Hokies last played a game in Blacksburg, but finally we return to Lane Stadium this weekend for the home opener, jumping right in with ACC play. As exciting as this weekend is with the orange effect in the night game, Saturday will primarily be um, how, you know, how this team responds to adversity and less about, you know, all that big stuff. Yeah, originally you look at this game and you're like, oh, cool, we're 1-0, and then we play a night game against Boston College and it's Brent Pry's first home game, and all of a sudden there's – a second narrative and yes obviously uh that's still an issue you know it's the first home game and start of a new era blah 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 but at the same time yeah how do you how do you recover from that loss last week because nobody expected to lose that football game the players the coaches the fans the program they did you don't hang our state billboards in the 757 if you expect to lose to to wvu right um, you mean ODU? ODU. <laughs> excuse me. Uh, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. So there, there's kind of two different storylines going on there. I think. Yeah, I think it's of. Again, you know, I think there were so many mistakes and errors too. The way the game played out, the five turnovers, the 15 penalties, the everything that went into it, the 28 seconds running off the clock, that was kind of a a test run for the bigger games i think and they failed the test run that that's the way i'm i'm looking at it as 
this is one of those games. It's a, it's kind of a warm up for a Boston College, a West Virginia down the road. Same with Wofford next week. It's going to be a warm up game, kind of a, a test run. See how things go. You can test out different things. It's like kind of like in soccer, a friendly, right? Absolutely. And you lost a friendly, and you got embarrassed. And <laughs> now it's how do you tweak those things? And Brent Pry, he spoke to me yesterday. They had Sunday practice. Um, they cleaned up a, a ton of different things. Um, and I think the main thing is a lot of the penalties, a lot of the errors were, I would think, easy fixes. You know, you should be able to work on the long snapper not snapping it over the holder's hands. Grant, Grant Wells should not throw four picks every single game. Those mistakes are fixable. Yeah, and I remember back in the day when Tech played all those big early season games against your Boise States and, and, and teams like that, and they lose almost all of them. And like Beamer and Burnup and Roth would always have the same conversation on Tech Talk Live on Monday night. They would, and like they would they would ask Beamer, uh, do, do you wish like you could play a preseason game in college football that didn't count and everybody could, you, you know, iron everything out then? And Beamer would always say yes. Yeah. Right. Uh, there is no preseason like to in effect. Tech just played their preseason game, but unfortunately it counted. Yeah. Um, so and for a new staff. That new staff needed the preseason right, game. right, right, and it's one thing to play a preseason. Like, let's say that had been a preseason game and it didn't count, and Tech had lost it, and everybody would be freaking out. But at the same time, you'd be like, okay, it was just a preseason yeah. game, and it doesn't it count. Right, right, right. It but counts. now, but now it counts. Um, will Virginia Tech improve on it? I, I think the team has some issues, but I also think they should have easily dispatched ODU. But we've already cut. We've already beaten that one to death. Obviously, a lot of things to correct in practice this week. We'll see on Saturday if that's true. You know, Brent Price said they had multiple correction periods and practiced on Sunday. So we'll see a testament to that on Saturday, just how seriously they were taking practices this week. You know, how many interceptions does Grant Wells throw, if any? Hopefully that's corrected in the penalties, of course. But beginning to look at Boston College, the Hokies defense is going to face a lot of talented quarterbacks in the ACC this year, and it starts early with Phil Dracovic. Thankfully, this time around, the defense is able to prepare for him more versus the game last year when he kind of came in out of nowhere. He wasn't even supposed to play after his injury, and he beat the Hokies pretty good. That game was so – do you remember the, the particulars in that game? Uh, yeah, it was Jerkovic hadn't played all year because he was dealing with a hand injury, and, and, and then leading up to the game, he was going through warm-ups, and right. it goes – everybody's like, oh, he's so he's going to play. Right. And then he comes out and plays, and he didn't have a great game. Right. But – but, but he didn't need to have a great game to beat that Virginia Tech what, team. What I yes. remember is I, I was felt good about that game going into it because I thought it was going to be Burmeister versus their backup. Instead and it ended up being Dracovic against versus Knox Tech's backup. Yeah. Exactly. Who struggled in his first start for McNeese State this past week. <laughs> and so it's 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 just another sign that like you, you, you spend so much time studying a game and then things go one way and every, everything you studied all week – is invalidated, yeah. right? Um, Jerkovic's good, though. He is good. Yeah, thoughts yeah, on Jerkovic? Very good. Some people project him as a first-round pick. Um, I don't I don't know about that, but if I know if he stayed at Notre Dame, then maybe they beat Ohio State the other night. Yeah. Um, because I, that's pretty much all they're lacking, I think, is, is a top-notch quarterback. Uh, no, he is – It's that BC got off to – he didn't have as great a year last year statistically because of that he injury. He was injured, yeah. Um, but he was quite good two years ago. And he's only got like one good receiver, which, which which limits first team all ACCs right, flowers. right? Yeah, which uh, but that and that limits his him statistically to a certain extent. Um, but like if, I think if he was playing for a team that 
he had you know three or four quality options there on the outside, I think people would really have a better understanding of how talented he is. Yeah, I would I would agree, and I think I, he's he can be a game changer, but it's hard when he only has Zay Flowers as the one big target. It's not like you know you look through the ACC and a lot of. Brennan Armstrong, take Brennan Armstrong, for example. He's got Dontavian Wicks mm-hmm. and Keaton Thompson. Those are just two of the many options he's got at wideout. So many different really good quarterbacks in the ACC. Dracovic is one of them, but he's probably one of the ones that has the least amount of options. No question. Yeah, you, you mentioned him earlier. Zay Flowers is definitely one of the most dangerous weapons for Dracovic. Certainly one of those keys to the game has to be limiting the production of those two through the air. And you look to Armani Chapman and Dorian Strong primarily for that. Yeah, and you get Breon Murray back this week. And, and if he gets worked in some, they talked about depth being an issue with corner. They thought Tex corners were, were worn out at the end of the game. I don't know. I mean, there have been times in the past when Tex corners have had to play the whole game and they were okay. ODU had the only only had the ball for 25 minutes. Yeah. It's not like the defense was under a tremendous amount of stress the whole game. So I don't quite buy that uh, personally. But yes, it's a big game for the corners because if you do limit the the BC passing game, you're going to beat Boston College, assuming you don't turn it over and snap the ball over the you holder's better, head. You better, I was say, you better yeah, knock but, on wood or right. something right now. <laughs> because... Uh, because they have other limitations in their offense, which we'll get to later. Um, but, yeah, you have to look at this game as, as a challenge if you're a Virginia Tech cornerback. You've got an opportunity to play a night game at home on television against uh, one of the best wide receivers out there in Zay Flowers, who's yeah. very, very good. So so at this level of football, you have to embrace that, that challenge. Yeah, and I thought Strong and Chapman both played pretty well against Old Dominion. I mean, Strong really only gave up that one completion. No, no that was literally, literally one of five. One of five, and it was the very end of the game. And and he's one of the top five uh, in the country in opposes in opposing quarterback completion percentage against him. Yeah, and between and I mean, and between the two, Strong and Chapman, they didn't give much up at all. So I'm I'm interested to see how they how they play one of the best wide receivers in the ACC. But I think having a little bit more cushion there, I think with with Breon Murray, a little bit more depth that that'll probably help. Zay Flowers is also a guy, I listened to a Jeff Hoffley interview in the offseason. He's a guy who could have pulled a Jordan Addison, if you will. He had coaches calling him in the offseason saying, you know, offering him money to come play for their school. And he returned to Boston College for, I think, I guess this is his senior year, I want to say. Uh, I think yeah. he's a red shirt. No, no, he was a true. I think he was a true freshman when he burned Tech that that year in 2019. Like one know, of the first drives it. of the game. Anyway, Chris, Chris has it in the preview. It's so. his first. It's his fourth year on the field for Boston College, and uh, apparently he turned down a six figure NIL deal to stay yeah, at Boston surprised. College. Yeah, and, really but he got a nice vehicle out of it. But uh, I hear the the program that wanted him is uh, a deep deep south ACC program that has spent a lot of money on NIL in the offseason. You could probably figure who out who that is because Zay is from down in that area. Um, but, uh, yeah, he's a very good player. I can't wait for him to graduate. Well, it certainly says a lot about him and his confidence in his team that he did make the decision to stay. So we'll certainly be looking out for how him and Jerkovic play on Saturday. But the ceiling for how good Jerkovic can be really falls on the strength of his offensive line, which – unfortunately for him, is their biggest overall weakness as a team. Safe to assume the Hokies defensively are going to try to key in on that. I think the way the Tech defensive line, particularly the defensive tackles played this past week, is is a great sign because BC's offensive line is so inexperienced. I want to say their most experienced offensive lineman has around 250 career snaps. That's about four games worth of football. 
That's just not very much. Narelle Pollard, Mario Kendricks, and Josh um, Fuga have the, all played three to four years exactly. of and, football. And they just and they those guys annihilated that ODU center yeah. last week. And BC's offensive line individually they all varied from extremely average to downright terrible yeah. against Rutgers last week and uh and that was that, against that, a Rutgers front that's not that I mean, was not not very good yeah. uh, you know Rutgers was 79th in the country against the run last year and BC had a 1000 yard rusher last year and the 1000 yard rusher is back Pat and all, and all of a sudden Pat Garwo has 13 carries for what 25 yards or something like that yeah i mean just not good yeah yeah not good and and so you know, they threw two interceptions, which is kind of uncharacteristic. So I think Boston College is an offense. I do think besides Flowers, they, they lack playmakers. But the main thing holding their offensive line back, uh, excuse their me, hold, holding back. their offense their back offensive is their line. offensive yeah. line. Jerkovic was something like 3 of 15 went under pressure last week. So yeah. that's key for Virginia Tech. Get him under pressure, and he's not nearly as good. Yeah, Tech was good, I think. Defensively, for the majority of the game, I mean, I think Old Dominion was like 3 of 15 or 3 of 12 or something like that on third down. I mean, it was not a good percentage at all. Um, you know, Virginia Tech got a lot of pressure, didn't necessarily translate to sacks, but it did translate to incompletions and getting stops and getting out of there. So I think, you know, I think Tech's defensive line, if they can make continue to make some noise and continue to have a, a good performance again on Saturday, you know, this isn't a it's not like you're playing a fantastic offensive line. You're playing a, a relatively inexperienced to moderately experienced offensive line. And, and Tech's defensive line, for the most part, um, minus a couple young guys like Cole Nelson and um, Wilfred Panay, a lot of those guys have been around for a real long time, so they got the experience too. You're right, Patrick Garwo, their leading rusher, got stuffed multiple times against Rutgers. You hope that you know Fuga and Kendricks and Pollard are able to kind of play bully ball against this offensive line, but... Lots of Notre Dame connections on this team. Jerkovic, of course, the obvious one. Their new offensive coordinator and John McNulty is the former Notre Dame tight ends coach. And coming with him is George Takis, the Notre Dame transfer at tight end, who actually scored a touchdown in Lane Stadium <laughs> last fall. So you don't love the familiarity of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think uh, and Takis is probably their third weapon on offense. Like He's a good check down tight end. Um, he's not going to like go out and dominate a game, but uh, he would be the third guy. I would say to worry about in this one, but yeah, there's definitely an Notre Dame connection there, which I suppose is not not too surprising. It would seem like if like you're going to transfer from Notre Dame, then Boston College would be a similar type uh, of institution for you. Um, but I don't know. Boston College is one of the Boston Boston College is one of those teams that Virginia Tech's been playing for so long that. It's really odd looking at their offense right now and compare it to the it's, Boston College. Because as you wrote, it's different. It's a completely different oh, makeup than ba- it used ba- to be. Back in the day, you know, BC would just hit you with these awesome offensive linemen, and they had big physical running backs. And now all their most of their running backs are tiny, and their offensive line can't block anybody. But but they've got a dynamic wide receiver, which they never which they never used to have back in the day. That's, that seems like what they always lacked. And it's even that way on the other side of the ball. They had always had these big physical defensive fronts which shut down the run, but they weren't very athletic at corner and you could now, burn now them to the air. Now and now it's the other way around. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Special teams wise, it wasn't a great week one for a lot of college kickers. Oh. 
BC's place kicker in Connor Litton fell, just, fell testament to that, to that last weekend, but a homecoming for him in Blacksburg Radford, as a Southwest Virginia Radford kid. Zone, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's the scouting report? Uh, Nick should know if he had a microphone. <laughs> he was like 11 of 12 Jake. last year. So if the game comes down to kicks, then I don't, they probably feel pretty good about him. 55-yarder in the spring game and was 11 of 12 last year, made all of his He's extra points last year. Nick did tech offer him. He says Shake. Nick's shaking his well, head no. Or did, did he did he get a scholarship to Boston College? Was, he did right straight out of high school. So, yeah, interesting. Full ride. Okay, full ride. Full ride. Yeah. Interesting. Impressive. I mean, you got to think Tex had Brian Johnson, Jordan. I mean, Jordan Stout left because, because Jordan Stout because get on there's not enough playing time at yeah. kicker to go around. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and Tech had its own special teams issues too last yeah. week. So we don't need to, <laughs> yes, we don't we need did. to get back into that. Yeah, hopefully but, it's yeah. not coming. Boston down. College <laughs> Boston College special teams should be. You would think, as you wrote yesterday, should be above average, I would think. Average above average. I, I, you know, I think Boston College is one of those teams. Like, they're not likely to break off a big return on you, but they're not likely to, like, make mistakes yeah. either. Uh, so, like, I think special teams will kind of, assuming Tech doesn't make <laughs> critical errors again in special teams, I think they'll cancel each other out and it'll come down to, to offense and defense. Yeah. I have a couple comments about the Hokies' defense, but any other final thoughts on Boston College's offense? Uh, not really. It's like they only have two big receivers. Most of their receivers are in the 5'9 to 5'11 range. The two receivers that, that, that on their depth chart that are above six, six feet tall have combined for one career catch. So this is it's a it's a very small Boston College offense as far as the guys that you're going to see on the field playing big roles. So it's very I feel like this is very similar to the conversation we had last week when we were talking about Old Dominion, where it was their quarterback is okay. Mm-hmm. He ended up running for like seven yards, by the way. He did <laughs> for the second. Yeah, he beat us uh, seven times Se- his previous career high. Yeah, yeah. But but okay, but you know. <laughs> They, Old Dominion didn't – I mean, they had Allie Jennings, the wide receiver, who West Virginia transfer. But Zach Koontz was kind of the, the big name. They had one big name and, you know, another another guy, kind of three main players, you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our running back that had previously run for over 1,000 yards. But, um, mm-hmm. but, again, I feel like last week it wasn't anything super impressive about the Old Dominion offense. This week – yeah, okay, Dracovic and and Flowers, but besides that, nothing else super impressive. And I think Virginia Tech should be able to handle this offense. I think most of the questions lie on the other side of the ball. Yeah, yeah. couldn't have said better myself. Um, I feel I feel like this is a game where I don't think last week's loss means anything as far as this game. But at the same time, you can't help but thinking. If Virginia Tech's one and zero, and they'd beat ODU by two or three touchdowns, like they should have, then you'd feel better about this game coming up. But the reality is, you know, it's the same Virginia Tech team that, that and all they have to do is not make mistakes. And I, I just, I'm, it doesn't seem like BC has the firepower to come in and beat them. But does Virginia Tech have the firepower to score on BC? I know you talked about in your preview how much they lack depth. You know, if Zay Flowers were to go down, they really don't have any guys behind him. If Patrick yeah. Garwa were to go out, they really don't have any guys behind him. So that'll be key in the Hokies' game plan. One more thing before David gets out of here for some Zoom availability with the players. Defensively for the Hokies, I'm going to be looking at how much C.J. McCray plays, how much mm-hmm. Kelly Lawson p- plays, Jaden Keller, and even if Alan Tisdale plays at all. Yeah, I, I, and Alan Tisdale, Brent Pry addressed it um, yesterday on, on Tuesday. 
Alan Tisdale has some sort of eligibility issue. He's week to week. They're sorting it out. Um, Kelly Lawson, I'll throw in Caleb Smith too. Caleb Smith is day to day. He had pulled up a little bit. Uh, at the end of the first half in the Old Dominion game. Kelly Lawson back in the depth chart. CJ McRae back in the depth chart. So, yeah, both good points. And Lawson traveled but did not play last week. McRae played. He probably played like 15 to 20 snaps, I think. Yeah, something um, like that. And, and I'm interested to see what, what he can provide when he's fully healthy. Um, but, yeah, there are a couple question marks. Breon Murray, too. How much does he play? He's back from a suspension. All right, well, that'll wrap up the first half. Before we break, let's check in with Jake in the fourth chair. I'll go with a quick one here. This is the fourth time since the Hokies joined the ACC that their home opener will be against an ACC opponent, but it's actually the third straight season. So before 2020, the Hokies had only opened up at home against an ACC team once, and that was Georgia Tech in 2012. They had NC State in 2020, and then last year, obviously, North Carolina to start off the season, 3-0 and in those games. So Hokies... Perfect since joining the ACC when starting their season in Lane Stadium against an ACC opponent. And again, their third straight year, so trying to keep that streak going. That's impressive. That is impressive. All right, that'll lead us into our break here on episode 253 of the Tech Sideline podcast, brought to you by First Bank and Trust. Talked a lot about the offensive threats that Boston College has in the first half. And on the other side, we'll, take, we'll switch gears and take a look at their defense and how that stacks up against the Hokies. Make sure you stay with us. We'll be right back. Welcome you back into episode 253 of the Tech Sideline podcast brought to you by First Bank and Trust. As a reminder, if you're watching on YouTube, continue to drop any questions you have for Will and Chris in the chat, and we'll get to those at the end of the show. want to welcome Will Stewart to the set for the second half. This is probably a bad idea. I'm having a really bad day. <laughs> you guys are doing a good job, and uh, well, I'll try. Yeah, like we mentioned, David Cunningham had to go do some Zoom availability, so we're switching around a little bit, but we'll make it work. We talked about a couple of the big names on Boston College's offense in the first half, but defensively, Chris, you mentioned in the preview, this may be the best duo of corners the Hokies see all year. Yeah, um, really experienced guys, too. I want to say they combi- they've combined for something like 3,100 career snaps or something like that. So it's not an ideal matchup coming off what we saw from Virginia Tech's wide receivers last week, especially when those receivers seem to be banged up. You don't know how healthy Jaden Blue is. He certainly didn't look 100% last week. And now Caleb Smith is is day-to-day, according to Brent Pry. So it's like passing yards this week. are gonna They were going to be hard to come by either way. Because, I mean, BC is good. They're, they're, they're very good in the secondary. But uh, – even harder now that some of Tech's receivers seem to be limited limited due to injury. So you, you're talking about their corners, and you said they had about 3,100 career snaps between the two of them, you think? Yeah. Um, looks like we need to correct our roster card. We've got Jalen Cheek starting at corner, redshirt freshman. Does that sound right to you? Uh, no. I made that correction with you yesterday. Did oh. you save it? Oh, you know, I printed this out, so I'm looking at an old version. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> 
See, I told you I wasn't going to do a good job. <laughs> I'm having a bad day. <laughs> yeah, certainly not a great week for Caleb Smith to be day-to-day, but a little bit of shifting on the depth chart. Who do you expect to kind of fill that void if he is unable to go? You know, uh, it's interesting because they, they've moved a couple of new receivers up onto the depth chart that were not there last week. Uh, Jalen Jones and Christian Moss, they didn't play a single down last week against Old Dominion, and they didn't even play on special teams either. And now all of a sudden they're showing up in, in the two-deep. Um, we see it. Uh, it could be that maybe the tech coaches didn't think they were ready. And then after seeing the wide receivers performance last week, they're like, well, they better, they're going to have to be ready. <laughs> or it could be, I mean, you saw this when Fuente got here, but there were like five, six, seven guys suspended for the first couple of, uh, games of, uh, Fuente's tenure at tech. And you in- see that including Wyatt Teller, which right, makes right, his for like the first very game, mad. I think. <laughs> yeah. Um, so always that there's, whenever there's a new coaching change, you always see disciplinary things at the beginning as guys are adjusting to a new set of demands. So it could have been something like that. And it's just the tech has not Kept announced it or anything yeah. like that. I'm not saying that that's <clears throat> definitely the case, but for those, those guys to not play it down the very first week and not even be listed on the depth chart, and then now, oh, magically, they're both in the two deep, which is where yeah. everybody thought they would be to begin with, it kind of makes you wonder. So tell, tell us what you think about Christian Moss, uh, 6'3". So yeah. he's got a lot of height, 194. Yeah, he's tall. Uh, I didn't get a chance to really make it to practice and see these guys, did he's, you? He's got some ball skills. Um I, it surprised me, you know, he redshirted last year, so you didn't hear anything about him. When I was at ACC Media kickoff, I asked Caleb Smith, I said, name me a young player that maybe Tech fans haven't heard of yet that's going to help the team this year and that has a bright future. And the first name out of his mouth was Caleb Smith. He said, Meaning uh, Christian Moss. Uh, yeah, me, excuse me, was Christian he Moss. He said me. <laughs> yeah, me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, Christian Moss, he's 6'3", so he's got good size, and I think he's apparently got good speed, too. So the physical tools are, th- are there. He's somebody that I believe was a basketball player earlier in his year, and I don't think started playing football until either his junior se- or senior year of high school. Yeah. It's funny, one of his teammates was a uh, was a four-star recruit that at one point, another wide receiver, who at one point was committed to Tech. But this kid actually decommitted uh, when in reality tech decommitted themselves from him. And mm. I don't think he signed with anybody because uh, he's one of those guys. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but uh, Christian Moss <laughs> was always like the unknown guy on the, on that team um, because he, he just came on late, but I think the raw tools are there and they're going to have to try to use them uh, early. I mean, you, you like to give t- guys like that more time to develop, and you should give guys like that more time to develop. Uh, now, you have to think back at a guy like like Andre Davis didn't really do anything until he was a redshirt sophomore. I think that's fair. Yeah. Tech. He yeah. called eight passes as a redshirt freshman. Yeah. But, again, he came from a, a different background. He was, I think, a lacrosse player and a track guy and didn't come to football until late. And sometimes it can take those guys an, an extra year or two to, to really complete their development. Well, I think I think after watching uh, the, the receiving core at uh, ODU and being worried about whether or not Caleb Smith is going to play, I think we're all doing that thing of looking like who else on the depth chart can step in and help, you know, and, and I'm really hoping Moss is that guy. Well, whoever trots out at wide receiver needs to be on their A game because I think that room of DBs is just going to be looking for Grant Wells to make a mistake, maybe watching him and film this past week with the turnovers there. And it's definitely, you know, he needs to make those corrections in practice this week and probably gain some confidence in front of his home crowd to not turn the ball over. I think so. Uh, it's important that, you know, he's got he's got a he's got to cut down on his interceptions, obviously. So 
but you still want him to be aggressive. And I think that's probably the, the, the toughest uh, task for a quarterback's coach is how to get guys to manage not turning the ball over while also being aggressive. Yeah. I think it's the toughest task in football for, for a quarterback's coach. So that's Brad Glenn's challenge. Um, you know, hopefully, hopefully some of the unknowns for Virginia Tech will help them this week. You know, what we talked about in the offseason about how when there's a whole new coaching staff and a bunch of new players – that can help because, you know, like 2016, for example, for Virginia Tech, or, or uh, when you have the whole offseason to prepare. I mean, Tech really took Tennessee by surprise that year and outcoached them and outplayed them with the exception of a bunch of fumbles. A bunch of fumbles, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't going to be the case against Old Dominion because both of those staffs were so familiar with each other. They knew exactly what, what each other were going to do. That, was, that one was all going to be about the players and not coaching last week. But there's still enough unfamiliarity with Tech that they could have an advantage this week against Boston College because of that. There's just one game out there on film. Um, yeah, and, and getting back to the the Grant Wells thing, you know, uh, tell me if you think you remember one that was better. I thought the best play he made was a 39-yarder to Caleb Smith. Oh, man. Where the, he was – the blitz was coming right at him. And that's a – you know, that's a risky pass. It was in the coverage. Caleb was covered pretty it, well. It, it was, but it was man coverage. Like – you throw it up like that against man coverage yeah. and to a receiver who's six two or three like Caleb Smith, you expect at worst it's just going to get in be incomplete because because the the wide receiver is going to be physical enough. So he made the right decision to do that. Right. Uh, and then he made a the throw itself was what was awesome. That was he an hit, excellent because he hit him in stride, and he was rolling to his right and he was getting hit at the same time. I don't think people understand what a difficult throw that was to make and great job by Smith going up to get the ball. But if Smith doesn't play this week, does anybody, does tech have anybody that's going to be capable Christian of making Moss, that? baby. I'm yeah. hanging my hat there. You are you? Okay. <laughs> Jeff Halfley is a defensive guy. We know their pass coverage is great, but on the flip side, their run defense is not. They gave up a lot of chunk yardage against Rutgers this week. You'd assume that Keyshawn King might be able to have another 100 yard game against this group. So, Chris, uh, um, is, isn't it correct that at, at ODU, the tackles for Tech block the run well, but not the pass? Well, and, Parker, and the, Parker, the interior was the other way around. The interior guys pass block well, but not run. Not necessarily. Uh, Parker Clements didn't do anything well, to be <laughs> okay. perfectly blunt about Going it. Going by the PFF uh, grades. Janzy played well yeah. on, in, bo- in both categories. Uh, Jordan didn't have a good game. The guards were pretty mediocre. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think there's, a, there's anything to that the, now what the tight ends are the ones that didn't run block well as an entire collective group right. so they so people weren't wondering why tech didn't run more to the outside it's because well the people on the outside that were blocking weren't blocking anybody so right. you can't call those plays when you sit there if you're tyler bowen and you've watched you're like so that's your halftime adjustment maybe we'll run it to the outside well, our tight ends couldn't block anybody for the first half, so how can we make that our halftime adjustment? Right? Yeah, and, and they had some success in the second half running up the middle with King. I'm not, I'm not saying they piled up 150 yards rushing in the second Br- half. Brandon Patterson wrote a good article that I posted about this today and talked okay. about uh, Tech, tech started uh, doing better when they went up the middle, not because of who was blocking, but how ODU was blitzing. They were always blitzing the – the, the backside or play side, I forget. But Brandon Patterson explained it well in the article okay. that's posted on TSL uh, right. today. But, yes, Tech has to run the football. Uh, BC gave up a 96-yard drive to Rutgers this past week. 12-play uh, drive, one pass, and that was incomplete. The other plays, 
went that were all run plays and they went 96 yards and if you look at that drive it it got worse at the end Rutgers last two runs were 23 and 22 yards yeah yeah absolutely so they wore them out and now, then boom no no most of ODU's issues last week where they couldn't tackle Kashawn King he either broke tackles or made them miss BC's biggest issues generally they're a good tackling team they can tackle very well the problem is that they they miss their gap assignments and maybe they lack some athleticism and, and things like that. But when they get your, their hands on you or their bodies on you, they're going to tackle you. They're, they're bigger, stronger players than ODU. So a lot of those tackles that he broke around the line of scrimmage uh, against Old Dominion, he's not going to be able to do that against Boston College. They're bigger, stronger guys. So Virginia Tech's got to get those guys blocked this week because they really struggled to do that last week. And, and BC has got one guy on the interior that you like, right? Nose tackle. I'm going to give it a shot. Chibuze on Wuka. Yeah, it's definitely on Wuka. I don't know about the first game. Game. About the first game. part. Their, their defensive line, generally speaking, is solid, especially Valdez. They don't have much depth. Uh, Valdez is a defensive end. Now, he, he's had a great career for BC, but he had a bad game last week. It was kind of kind of odd. Like He's going to play left end, so he's going to be lined up against Parker Clements. Clements had a great season last year as a freshman. He graded out like a 75 on PFF, which, which, is, is, yeah. which is good for anybody and awesome for a freshman. And Valdez has been about the same in, in his career. Both of them had bad first games last week, like, and they shouldn't have. It just kind of came out of nowhere. So, but And now they're going to be going head-to-head this week. So I think that's kind of a matchup to watch is two guys, you know, both of them are going to want to be looking for redemption to a certain extent. I like their de- defensive line. I don't think they don't have much depth on their defensive line. Right. Linebackers where they really struggle, I think. I, th- I think that's where they need the most help with on defense is linebacker. Yeah. You mentioned on Wuka, Valdez. There's another another guy on the defensive line I wanted to talk about. I don't know how to say this name either. Shida Sila. I hope that's how you say it. Uh, but <laughs> um, he's a he's had a good career. He's he's a, check the roster card. Folks. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's had played a lot of snaps in his career, and uh, he's he's not quite as good as Valdez. But man, he's such an experienced player, and I, I think I think if you're Boston College, you're only going to recruit to a certain level, so you have to rely on experience. And you have to, yes, redshirt guys and develop them. And, you know, Boston College has done that. Like, you look at the Boston College depth chart, and you just see a lot of names that you're familiar with. Because Tech plays them every year, and you're just like, man, it seems like this guy's been there for six years or whatever, which might be true now because of the COVID rules and everything. But uh, So amongst their starting 20, their starting 22 on offense and defense, they have eight graduate students. Yeah, that sounds about right. And a lot of seniors and juniors sprinkled in there. And the D-line is graduate, graduate, junior, mm-hmm. senior. So you're right. Yep. So they, they, they keep reloading every year with – experienced guys and that kind of keeps their heads above water because they're not they don't have as much natural talent as most teams well football in the northeast just doesn't is isn't what it used to be mm-hmm. football isn't what it used to be in a lot of places right. as far as, as as far as the number of players that are playing it and and the depth that's available and then when you're boston college you got to deal with you know penn state and Burns the, like that coming the, in and, the, they had to cancel a game in the state of virginia last week a high school game high school game yeah right. and i forget which one it was but one of the teams just didn't have enough players and you're seeing that more and more these yeah. days and i'm sure that's probably the case in the northeast to a certain extent too and it even extends down into coaches and support staff uh um one of radford high's first games got moved to a thursday because there weren't enough officials 
to officiate all of the games mm-hmm. in the area over the weekend. And people wonder why officiating is getting worse. It's because it's because uh, there's not as many of them. They're spread too thin. Yeah. And the good ones don't want to do it because they're getting abused by fans all the time. Right. So yeah. that's only going to get worse. The more you yell at an official, actually, the worse it's going to get over time. When you start a campaign, man, out. save the refs. You I know, it's, it's it's like everybody gets all upset about the groups in the country that get abused, and nobody talks about how the officials get. I'll, abused. I'll never forget going to super regionals for softball this year, and they put that on the big screen. They said officials are retiring at six times the rate they're being replaced. So umpiring and officiating at the college level is about to get a lot worse. If <laughs> be nice, y'all. So be nicer to them. Yeah. Anyway. One tangent. more thing to look at in the trenches is do we see Braylon Moore after he was praised so much in the offseason? I would think so. I was Honestly, that was really one of the few things from a personnel standpoint that surprised me in week one is that he didn't play. Didn't play at all. All, right? yeah. all five of the offensive linemen played all, every snap. I expected Tech to only have a six-man rotation up front against uh, Old Dominion, but I expected him to be the sixth man because Pry basically flat out said, yeah, he's going to play in, in week one, and, and then he didn't. So I, they got in the game week, and uh, it almost seemed like they went back on some of their comments. Like Bra- uh, Braylon Moore was going to play, and then he didn't. Um, Jaden Keller, they praised him all preseason. They listed him at the top of the depth chart. Now, granted, it was or, or, you know, sure. like, like coaches do. But he was listed first, which generally indicates he's going to be the starter. And then he didn't get into the game into the second half. Got a sack and forced to fumble, and then they took him right back again. And Pry's like, yeah, he just wasn't picking things up like we hoped. I'm like, well, why'd you list him at the top of the depth chart this week then? That doesn't right. make any sense. So <laughs> it seems like they, they kind of got to game day, and they, they did get a little scared to play some of their some of their younger guys. Well, particularly when the game is tight like that and a lot of mistakes are being made by the frontline guys that you have out there. You know, I understand that. And and we've seen this before. It's it's typical for some true freshman not to play. On the road. Especially early. Like like Dax Holyfield ended up starting for Tech in 2018. He didn't play a down on defense against Florida State that year in the first game. He did dance on the sidelines. He did dance a lot on the sidelines and celebrate. He he Um, talked about it. He's like, it's kind of crazy that that's still a thing. And And you saw Malachi Thomas who didn't really break into the rotation until a month or so in the last season. Yeah. Um, so not uh, some true freshmen are going to keep improving, generally speaking. Um, so Braylon Moore is going to play at some point. I would, you would think he, w- he would get some time this weekend. If not this weekend, then certainly next weekend. Let's go ahead and check back in with Jake, and then we'll get some closing thoughts. So I, I did some research and looked back at the times that Virginia Tech has lost their season opener since joining the ACC. So this is the 19th season in the ACC. That was the eighth time that the Hokies have lost their season opener. Wow. Four of those games, excuse me, three of those games were against the number one team in the country in their first game of the season, USC in 2004, Alabama in 2013, and Ohio State in 2015. Half of those games were either at FedEx Field or in the Georgia Dome. So a lot of neutral site games. The only time the Hokies lost their season opener at home was Ohio State back in 2015. Uh, Looking at what happened after that, the seven times that they've lost their season opener, they're 6-1. and The only loss is James Madison uh, after Boise State. Uh, And after that, starting 0-2, they ended up rattling off 11 straight wins and winning the ACC. Uh, But looking at some of those bounce-back wins, the uh, competition obviously dropped off a lot from facing five top five teams, including three number ones, uh, Western Michigan, Marshall, Western Carolina, Furman twice, and Old Dominion 
after losing to Boston College in 2019. So now the roles are flipped. We'll see if the Hokies can take down BC this time and get to one and one. Yeah, you know, I used to complain about playing all those top five teams to start the season because we'd <laughs> lose to every one of them. Yeah. You're like, you look at the schedule, the schedule come out, and we're like, oh, we're starting 0-1 this year because we're playing <laughs> Alabama. But now we're now we're starting 0-1 anyway, even if we're playing ODU. So. <laughs> you know, I remember, I remember they, they played that. <clears throat> they also played Alabama in uh, Georgia, I oh, think, it was in twice. 2000, it was 2009. 2009 and 2013. Yep. And, and I remember, I mean, I, I I remember us previewing that game, and I picked Tech to win that game. The, the, the 2009 game? Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. that was before we really knew that Alabama was Alabama. And and it was that year that they started becoming Alabama. It, it was only two years earlier that, they, that Alabama under Nick Saban had lost to Louisiana Monroe. Yeah. The game that nobody, that everybody forgets about. And, but, yeah, that was his first year. Uh, at Al- at Alabama, so like, not his first game, but it was in his first year. So yeah. like, you know, don't freak out about the ODU loss too much. I know it's not auspicious, and there's some things that happen in the game that aren't too encouraging. But that's not necessarily a reflection of where Virginia Tech will be a year from now. We're not going to be Alabama a year from now, but, <laughs> but, but we're, we're not. We're not 2009 we're, I don't think we probably won't be that e- that bad yeah. either. Yeah, 2013 Alabama was number one. 2009. They were only number five, a little load for Nick Saban's Alabama teams, but they did have a, a young receiver on that team by the name of Julio Jones. It's the only time I think I've ever seen Bud Foster completely change his defensive game plan to like use a safety to bracket a receiver. Like they totally bracketed Julio Jones. He didn't do much that night. And it was odd because like he had never played a college game before and, you know, tech had good corners and everything like that. So they totally bracketed him. And meanwhile, Alabama just put uh who was their slot receiver? Marquise Mays. They, they put him on uh, so Cam tech, Chancellor, right? So Tech had to cover him man-to-man with Cam Chancellor. And, and Chancellor is great an NFL player he was. He's not going to run with slot receivers as a free safety. And and that's ultimately, you know, you know he gave up some big big pass plays in that. And Tech wasn't able to to win. But, yeah, yeah there was, I was – I think Mark Ingram was on that uh, Alabama so. team as their running back. Um, they've had so many running backs, it's hard to remember which ones played on which teams. Well, so – Basically, the point of this is most of the time they started the season with a big name team, a power five team, and then followed up with a group of five or an FCS team. This time, first time ever since joining the ACC, the Hokies are playing a power five team uh, after a loss in week one. Yeah, I still feel good, though. We'll get to the predictions here in a second, right? Yeah. (laughs) Jumping back to this Boston College matchup, in regards to our offense, what are the biggest adjustments that need to be made going into Mm. this week if they want to win? Because 17 points is not going to win you many football games. Obviously, don't turn the football over, but that goes without saying. And uh, I Cut out the pre-snap penalties. Out of of Tech's 15 penalties, I counted, and I counted it twice, so I think this this is correct. Uh, Seven of them were offensive pre-snap penalties. There were five false starts. There was an illegal formation and illegal motion, illegal motion slash formation. I don't remember the other. So Delay cer- of game. So certainly, it's not going to help your passing game when you go from third and five to third and ten. Yeah. It makes it a lot difficult on yeah. on everybody. Um, I would say clean up the blocking as far as. Uh, the offensive line and tight ends goes. Those guys are like Parker Clements is a way better football player than he showed last yeah. week, and so was so was Johnny Jordan. and And the tight ends are, are better blockers than they showed last week too. And with, with that many guys having that poor game against 
an ODU defense that was very blockable last year by, <laughs> very by, blockable. by, by conference USA opponents. It just leads me to believe that, uh, there's still there's still some adjustment going on to a scheme there and and what what they're they're getting out there and in the heat of the moment the game's moving fast and they're not quite sure at full speed what they're supposed to be doing yeah. and who they're supposed to be hitting and that makes you look it makes you hesitate for a split second and this is a you know it's a sport where you have to be on top of your game because you can made be made to look really bad if you're off just a little bit. And I just, I just think it just seemed to me tech seemed a little hesitant and not completely sure what they were doing. So they've got hopefully some of the correction, corrective practice on Sunday uh, reflected around here's what we're supposed to be doing in terms of blocking. Here are our assignments. When you see this, here are our assignments. When you see that, obviously it's going to be a little different this week because, you know, Boston college will, will have a different scheme and, and everything like that. But, uh, I, I want our guys as quickly as possible to be up to speed and this offense become, it becomes kind of, you know, uh, ingrained in their heads the uh, every week, what they're supposed to do, because I thought it slowed down their feet uh, against old dominion. Cause like I said, Parker Clements is a good player. Yeah. There's, there's no way uh, like Parker Clements has that kind of game. If he 100% knows what he's supposed to be doing. On well, what I like about that is if you look up and down the Virginia Tech coaching staff, what's the one coach you trust? Oh, yeah, for To sure. get his unit right. Rudolph, the, the guy who has uh, head and shoulders of career accomplishments above everybody else. Brent, right. Brent Pry is a pretty accomplished defensive coordinator. Right. New head coach, yeah, but Rudolph's the, the guy. The, 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 pro, the, the problem is, like, Vance Vice liked one type of offensive lineman, and Joe Rudolph likes another type of offensive yeah. lineman. That's why it took, like, three or f- years or so for – the offensive line to start playing well under vice because offensive like, like he recruits a specific type of player. And in some cases, that's not the type of player that Joe Rudolph would, would recruit like uh, the, like the kid from Southwest Virginia Meadows w- was offered by Rudolph. He's red shirting uh, this year. Vice never would have offered him because in vice's system, his feet aren't quick enough, mm-hmm. but for <clears throat> Rudolph, who's looking for pounders, it's a it's okay. He considers him a fit now. Now the issue with with this tech offense right now is like Johnny Jordan would not have been recruited by Rudolph because he's not a pounder. He's a technical side to side, quick feet type player, but he's not going to push anybody off the ball. I don't I don't know if I don't I don't know. I've seen Clements play under the Vice scheme. But I haven't. I've only seen one game in the Rudolph scheme, and it, it might just be that he's not Rudolph's type of player. Hmm. But the problem with that is, you know, it takes years to build rebuild an offensive line. Something to think about. Now, and Rudolph was fortunate enough when he took over the Wisconsin offensive line. Well, he took over already took over a well established offensive line that's pretty much played one style of football for the last thirty years. Right. Well, considering all that and what Boston College brings to the table, what game plan gives the Hokies the best chance to win? People are not going to – you want to answer this uh, first? Go just, ahead. You know, we've already talked about the matchups of, of their past defenders against Tech's receivers, oh. basically as what we, what we can go on one weekend. And that doesn't look good. So then, then you feel like Tech should be able to – running the football is, is going to hopefully open that up some. I, I don't think you can really wave a magic wand based on what you saw in week one. I, I don't think there's a, there's a here's what they got to do answer other than – block better and run the football better and use that to set the passing game up. Yeah, uh, I don't think either team's going to blow the other one out. I, th- I think this is a game where 
if you're Virginia Tech, you have to realize that Boston College, they're, they're not good enough offense offensively to where they're going to go up and down the field on you and score a, different, a bunch of points. So don't feel like you need to go out there and I'm not saying don't be aggressive, but I'm saying don't be aggressive. Do you really want to be aggressive with those receivers that were on the field for Virginia Tech last week? Because it doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, to me, this is a more conservative game plan. Make it a four-quarter football game. Predicted outcomes. I know nobody wants to hear that. Mm. Um, but I think that's your best chance to, to win this type of football game. And obviously, don't turn it over. But that goes without saying for every game. Uh, the the one thing that makes me wonder about that is, is if you play the football equivalent of small ball, you know, and, and you you do that sort of thing. Boston College does have the two guys that are the most likely to make an explosive play right. in the game, and that's Dracovic yeah. and Flowers. Right. Um, so I, maybe you'll see something in this game where if Tech does get in a good position, they'll do something like run a trick play or maybe take a shot downfield. Um, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, uh, you know, it was interesting. They, did, they didn't take many last week. Uh, particularly after Smith went out. Particularly after Smith went out. Yeah, uh, Connor Blumrick was interesting in those oof. final couple of plays. So I'm interested to see if he's going to. That's, that's the only time I win. noticed him the whole game. Right. Right. Well, looking at his PFF grade. How many snaps did he play there? 17. So not a and lot. So it's not like he was there a lot. And it was, it was not a good performance. Huh. He didn't block well. The only person he blocked was the kid on the field at the end of the game. That was nice. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and then uh, he put he him was, on the ground. He, he had a very poor. Uh, receiving grade too hmm. uh so it was not a good game by him i don't he's capable again he's capable of playing better so again i just i just wonder if there's things that that maybe got tweaked for the specific game plan this week that our guys weren't ready for and just tied up their feet to a certain extent we'll learn more about this group as, as time goes by we still don't know 100 percent what to expect on a week-to-week basis um i it's just one of those games that kind of kind of seems like it's uh, going to be a rock fight, and the team that does make the critical error is, is going to end up losing. Yeah, or the big play. Right. Moving on to game picks. 0-1 start for the Hokies, 0-1 start for the whole crew. Game picks-wise, someone's going to pull ahead this week, though, because you all weren't on the same page here. Chris, what led you to pick the Eagles? Uh, Virginia Tech is 11-16 and 16 in its last uh, 27 football games, with one of those wins coming over – Richmond and another one coming over a Duke team that didn't win a single ACC game last year. So basically nine and 16 against teams with a pulse, I will say over, over the, since the end of the 2019 season. So if you just play the percentages, they're not going to win the game. Right. Right. Um, And BC, I think has won three out of the last four and five out of the last nine. So they, you know, not that that's relevant necessarily to, to this year's game. Um, you are correct. We all whiffed uh, last week. The fans whiffed also. They, they picked uh, 93% of voters in our poll last week, fan poll picked Tech to win, you know, as you would expect them to. Yep. Um, so The other 7% were ODU fans who got into the poll. Yeah, who piled into the, or UVA <laughs> fans who piled yeah. into the preview and, and, and there were 30 people that voted for ODU to win by 11 plus. So yeah, that's just people clowning that's clown, around. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so you've got BC in this one. David picked, let me scroll up. David picked a uh, tech 27, 23. Um, I think that's kind of ambitious in term of number of points, total number yeah. of points given the two offenses, but you never know. Big plays can skew that. And uh, I went contrarian and uh, um <clears throat> 
I picked Virginia Tech to win 20 to 13 uh, simply because in, in, in doing these predictions, I do need to separate myself for, and you know, this is before I saw that David's pick was also, was also going to be uh, Virginia Tech. So uh, uh, I just, uh, it's contrarian and a lot of it is hopeful. I, I do think, so being serious, uh, I did mention this, you know, Boston College has the two guys with the potential to make the biggest plays on the field. And um, <clears throat> so Tech's just going to have to find a way to win around that. You know, um, um, I'm not going to sit here and say, well, this, this, and this is going to happen, and that's why Tech's going to win. I'm just kind of picking on faith that things are going to get a lot better, that Lane Stadium's going to help, you know, all that sort of thing. Uh, and this is a game you need to win. Because if you if don't want to get bowl eligible, you're, that's you're, for sure. Absolutely, because you're you're running the gauntlet <clears throat> after October's going to be tough. Yeah. Uh, you know, West Virginia at the end of September, which yeah. they looked a lot better than I expected them to Me against too. Pitt. I would agree with yeah, that. Yeah, they looked really good. And JT Daniels looked really good. Yeah, yeah. and they, um, I think, and then you get into October, where you've got North Carolina, Miami, NC State, and, and Pitt. Three of those games on the road. I mean, that was that was the dis- that was probably the most disappointing part about last week, is. That was a game you should have won, and you get you know you get your head above water, and and then you come back and you got a chance to beat Boston College, and you can go two and zero or three and one, or excuse me four and zero or three and one in September, and then you've got a manageable November schedule. Um, November is like, easy. They're, right. They should be smooth Relatively sailing speaking. if they correct some things. You right. Know. right, right, exactly. So, but now if you if you fall into that hole of of zero and two. I mean, you put yourself in a position where you have to beat West Virginia. Don't get me wrong. From my standpoint, we have to beat West Virginia anyway. <laughs> yeah. Breathe um, if you hate West Virginia. But right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that, got a great shirt. I need to I find hope, that shirt. And yeah, wear you it need on to podcast. find it. It's on the yes. preview podcast. Yeah, right? exactly. Um, so, I, just losing that game last week really puts Tech behind the eight ball because now they got to steal one from somewhere to make up for that, right? But um, typically, they do. That's the thing. Uh, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, so that's another thing I'm hanging on to is, uh, man, I, I hope this doesn't turn out to be wrong, but I just, okay, so I just y- don't right. think they'll go completely Tip- winless typ- in that. In October, Typically, yeah. they steal one and then give one away, right? Yeah, and they've they already given the one away. That's okay, right. okay, okay. So we've done that. So we'll, to actually improve ourselves, we'll have to steal two. Right. Right. Unless we want to go six and six again. Yeah. It, it, for me, what it boils down to is I was thinking six and six and one of those wins was going to be a road to you. Right. Right. So, no, it's, so not, it's not like I did a game by game analysis because I think that but, stuff's silly. But, but now you'll have to beat NC State to make up for it. Right. Well, or, 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 or somebody would, like that. I would say UNC. They're much more likely to beat UNC. Than uh, yeah. I would State. definitely agree with UNC's that. UNC is the most beatable team on the October schedule for sure. With that offense, that defense. Opinion. Yeah. Yeah. That's an intriguing matchup. <laughs> so Will and David and the fans have tech. Chris has BC. Personally, I, I can't even pick. Do the fans a winner. have tech? I, I haven't yeah, the checked fans the have uh, tech voting yet. Let's look at that. By right a margin now. of one in ten points last time I checked. But I think this matchup is just so even in a lot of different ways. Hopefully, it doesn't go into overtime and we get out by eleven o'clock because it is a night game. But. That's right. That's right. And it's looking like rain at this Real? point. I thought it had changed the forecast. Uh, it's been kind of scattered. Uh, somebody said this morning that. It had improved yesterday, but got worse this morning. As far well, as if it does rain, I mean, Virginia Tech has the advantage if they I would plan on running the football for the majority of You know, the, like if it rains, and I don't like saying this, but it really needs to be a hard rain. Because, <laughs> because the, the, the field part. drains so well these days that just a light, simple rain doesn't really mean very much. But it right. needs to be, if you really want it to impact the game, it needs to be a downpour. Like, like, yeah. like Pitt 
a few years ago, 2019, when it was horrible. Duke 2017, Ooh, Boston, Boston College 2007, uh, which didn't which <laughs> actually did help us, but we still didn't end up winning. So, so everybody has their apps they like to use. I just happen to pull up the the Weather Channel app. So Saturday night, 82% chance of rain. Um, cloudy with periods of rain, rainfall around a quarter of an inch. So that's what they're saying. Uh, now, the other thing I wanted to say is let's go look at the fan voting. Right now, you've got 46% of voters say the Hokies win by 1 to 10. 32% BC wins by 1 to 10. 13% Hokies by 11 plus. 10% Boston College by 11 plus. So that breaks down to 59% of fans saying uh, – Tech will win, and the other forty-one percent. That's actually low for 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 Tech fans as far as a winning percentage goes for, for a fifty-fifty well, game. It's, a, it's that recency yeah. bias, you know. No, no. What I what I mean is, uh, normally I think about seventy to seventy-five percent of Tech fans would pick Tech to win this game. Yeah, yeah. Um, but they're they're still smarting from the ODU game. Uh, yeah, absolutely. This is certainly one that they want to win when you look at the grand scheme of their schedule mm-hmm. and the rest of the ACC opponents that they face. But let's throw it back over to Jake for your last segment, and then also let's do some YouTube questions if there are any. Cool. So I, you guys mentioned uh, Boston College's kicker, Connor Litton, is actually from the area, attended Radford High School with our very own best podcast producer in the land, Nick Brown. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. We went live without Mike, so he's just a podcast producer. <laughs> he's, just yeah. the po- he's got to earn it back. <laughs> he's still my favorite podcast producer. Uh, he actually played with uh, PJ Prelu there uh, and under Pearson Prelu for a little bit at Radford. So a little bit of a connection there. There's actually one going the other way, too. True freshman Johnny Garrett is from Massachusetts and actually went to Boston College High School. Boston That's College right. High School, what a name. And he's right down the road from Chestnut Hill uh, where the Eagles play. So uh, it'll be a little bit of a reunion there for him, and I'm sure he's looking forward to eventually going back to Boston College and we'll have some family there. Uh, some more connections. Uh, Brent Pry, he played Boston College one time when he was the defensive coordinator at Penn State. That was in the 2014 Pinstripe Bowl, and Pry's uh, Nittany Lions beat the Eagles 31-30 in overtime. Wow. And then he also faced Jeff Halfley in 2019 when they were both the defensive coordinators at Penn State and Ohio State. Buckeyes did win that game 28-17. And then any YouTube questions? Yes. Uh, we have our high-tech graphics back. I couldn't find them last week, but here we go. It is stat time with Scott Glessner. Uh, so first one from Scott is since Virginia Tech's last shutout, I believe that means last time the Hokies were shut out, uh, the Hokies are 23-3 and in their second game of the season and 15-1 and at home. Three losses were LSU in 2007. Uh, JMU in 2010, and then the battle at Bristol against Tennessee. So those are your three losses in the second game of the season, but 23 wins in that span too, so feel Hmm. pretty good about that. Uh, And also, in the last seven games against Boston College, I thought this one was crazy, neither team has scored a point on their first drive of the game. So seven straight games, both teams have gotten the ball and not even gotten a field goal. I think considering uh, looking at both teams statistically and their strengths and weaknesses, I would say that's likely to uh, to hold up. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Let's look at some questions here. We got a few in the chat. Uh, First, D. Vought wants to know what player or players can help BT improve in the punt return area. Ooh. Uh... 
What does that mean? Replacing DJ Harvey? Because well, so we saw well, a few guys back there. I think William Kakavitsis got right. a, f- a few Kakavitsis is there. technically the backup on the depth chart. And he made a yeah. good catch of a very tough punt to catch. Um, he did. He did. He what? did receive one punt. Did he? Now we got to go look it up. I don't. Think I, believe, I don't think I it was real. he caught one. He did yeah. receive one punt. Like yeah. okay, he okay. Oh, one fair. Oh, well, that's an improvement. Um, I don't know. I, I, I still think, I mean, and I know the question is who could help him improve. I think you keep going with DJ Harvey. You just oh, keep coaching yeah. him up. You it's, know? P- punt returning is so hard. Yeah. It's uh, you, there's so much going on around you. It's like, imagine catching a, a center field fly ball, except you've got with people running well, at well, you, well, <laughs> right. Trying to hurt you with running into you full speed. Yeah. Uh, it's, that's what it's like. And then you have to also make the decision. When do I run up and fair catch it? When do I let it bounce? It's Greg Stroman is the best punt returner in tech history. The by best far. Punt, yeah. Do the best. Not, punt not necessarily as the, not necessarily as the guy who's going to return him for a touchdown. Although he did do some of that, but as far as his decision-making and his decisiveness, his ability to catch the ball in traffic. And he had no fear, no fear at and, all. And that's hard to do. To yeah. Just, to just yeah. run at that ball full right. speed with no fear. Right. Because, all right. So I think you stick with Harvey for yeah. now and see if he gets better. That was his first time out there. Um, I just, I just don't, I don't feel comfortable changing that right now simply because I don't, uh, I don't, but if he keeps struggling, like then you just, you put the guy back there who's most likely to catch the ball and fair just catch, catch the ball. Yeah. 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 If, if, if it continues to be a thing where the ball hits and rolls or, or he's a little shy about going up and catching it. Um, yeah, then you just put a guy back there who's at least going to do that. You start with the basics. Uh, put James Mitchell back there. Yes. Somebody, yeah. Who, who was it Mitchell replaced? Do you oh, remember? T- Tavion Robinson, who was, who was awesome. He was good the year. Oh, no, Grimsley replaced Tavion, I It was Tavion. Okay. Yeah, you know, uh, Tavion and I did a great year the year was before. great as a freshman, great as a junior, but as a sophomore, he just forgot how to field punts. Yeah, yeah. Um, Want to do one more? Yeah. All right, we'll do one more. Uh, I believe we kind of touched on this on Monday's podcast, but Chris, uh, overall in Tyler Bowen's first game, what did you think of the offensive play calling against ODU? That's from Chris Siebel. Generally speaking, I I don't have too much of a problem with play calling ever. Yeah. I mean, I, I think there's so much that goes into it. I mean, there are certain instances here and there where if it's third and two, and I feel like the other team has a certain strength and a certain weakness. I might I might disagree with some calls and things like that. Um, I it's hard to judge because I just I don't think our receivers played well and we didn't block well. Like I, I know people were saying oh, there should have been some halftime adjustments and we needed to do more out. Actually, it was it was somebody some analyst said that Virginia Tech they they didn't stretch the defense uh, horizontally with the outside running game and I'm like. Well, did you look and see how the tight ends blocked? Yeah. You can't call those plays when the tight ends aren't blocking anybody. I, I thought, you know, I, I can't really – I mean, he adjusted after he lost Caleb Smith. He adjusted. He started throwing it to the tight ends. He continued with the running game. He threw the ball to Daywan Lofton more. He, he adjusted uh, the type of running plays that he ran in the course of the game. And, also, and, so check out Brandon Patterson's article yeah. today for more information on that. And 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 the way the the way the game was going, he just didn't have a lot of options, you know. And and he did go with the options that were, you know, fairly successful in the second half. Yep. All right. Is that it? 
Perfect. Well, before we get out of here, game previews posted on techsideline.com as of yesterday. Make sure you check that out. Chris, Friday, Q&A, anything else coming up? I th- I'm sure we'll have some more Jason Stain. Brandon Patterson will have his BC video breakdown on Friday as well. So, yeah, a few more things this week. But yeah. we'll get to the point after the podcast on Wednesday. It's kind of all downhill. Yeah, we're uh, drinking from a fire hose Monday through Wednesday. And right. Then, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that was another great episode of the Tech Sideline podcast. I want to thank everybody on set today. Chris Coleman, lead analyst and columnist for Tech Sideline. You can follow him at Chris Coleman TSL on Twitter. Will Stewart, founder and general manager of Tech Sideline. He's at Will Stewart TSL. David Cunningham was on the first half of the show. He's at The Real D Cunna on Twitter. Jake Lyman back again in the fourth chair. Nick Brown producing. Hokies take the field at home for the first time this season, Saturday night at 8 p.m. against Boston College. You can catch the game on the ACC Network, and we'll be back Monday to break it all down. I'm Katie Adams signing off from all of us at Tech Sideline. Enjoy the game, Hokies fans, and enjoy your weekend.